Hello and welcome to another podcast episode. I'm Ray. Glad you could join me. This week, talking all about money. Money in the old days, wages, what people did for money, how they purchased things. I mean, like a new car, uh, even furniture, carpets, bits and pieces like that. How did they do it all? Because bear in mind, there were no credit cards. There was HP, of course, higher purchase, but you then had the payments and very often you would have someone come around every week and collect the HP money. So how did people get on in those days financially? Back in my school days and my well early days of working, I didn't know anyone who was unemployed. Unlike today, you know, loads of people seem to be unemployed. But back then, I just don't remember anyone being out of work. Someone would leave a job, yes, or even if they got sacked, <laughs> which did happen to some people, of course. But they get another job within a few days, within a week. They weren't out of work, unemployed for months and months, or even like some people today, years on end. That just didn't happen. Everyone worked, as far as I can remember anyway. Even as kids, of course, we earned money with a paper round. I did a paper round. I hated it. The money was appalling. (laughs) Up at six o'clock in the morning, middle of the winter, frost, ice, snow, freezing cold, blizzard, Minus 50 degrees, well, not quite that bad. But off you go on your bicycle with an old bag full of newspapers. Oh, dreadful. Well, it was exploitation, really. (laughs) You think about it. I mean, it was child exploitation. I was only, what, 12, 13, 14, something like that. But one chap at school, now this is quite a story. He was a, a budding entrepreneur. He wasn't a friend of mine. He was just someone in my class. And he overheard me one day, one Friday it was, I'll never forget. I was saying to this friend of mine, I must go to the bike shop tomorrow because my brakes, you know, the brake calipers on, on the front and back wheel, there's these calipers, they're broken, metal fatigue or something, the thing had broken in half. And I was saying, I've got to go over the bike shop, you know, that's going to cost a fortune. And this chap came over and he said, did you say brake calipers? I said, yeah, that's right. He said, come round to my place. I've got loads of secondhand spares, half the price of the bike shop. And he gave me a dress. He said, come round in the morning. That was Saturday morning, of course. I went round then, rang the front doorbell and his mum said, oh, he's in the garage. Just go down the side of the side door. I walked into his garage. It was all lit with these fluorescent tubes and it was absolutely jam-packed. Bicycle frames hanging on the wall, wheels, tyres, inner tubes, loads of metal drawers, all marked things like uh, Bowden cables, brake blocks and this and that wheels, uh, everything. It looked like a bicycle factory. Saddles, handlebars. (laughs) I immediately thought it was his dad's business. I said, oh, is this what your dad does? Works from home? He said, no, it's not my dad's. This is mine. This is my business. He he laughed. He said, it's his garage, but this is my business. And he was 14. I couldn't believe it. I was most impressed. What he did was he, he did bicycle repairs, but he also built bikes. He said that he got uh, bits and pieces from the rubbish tip, which you could do in those days, the council tip. You could go up there, take bits, do what you like, really. No one took any notice, wander around the tip, nicking bits and pieces. And he was saying that he got to know one of the chaps up there. And apparently this chap put by bicycles for him and any bikes that were in one piece or didn't look too bad, he'd put them by for him. And, And this lad used to go down with his dad to pick them up and he'd give him five bob or whatever. He was quite the entrepreneur, honestly. Anyway, I had my bike with me. I'd cycled round there. 
and I, I showed him the brake caliper had broken on the front and he just went to a drawer. There you go, that's what you want, look. And I, I said, okay, you know, how much is that? I think, I can't remember, was it half a crown or five bob? Half a crown, I can't remember. Then he said, I'll fit it for you. I said, no, no, I can do that, don't worry. He said, well, look, while you're here, and within minutes, he'd fitted it. Uh, was it, I think, was it five bob? I can't remember, it's a shame. Anyway, it doesn't mean anything. Five bob, half a crown, who knows what that means back in the 60s. It was early 60s, yeah, I was 14, so early 60s. And he also put new brake blocks on the back for me. I said, where do you get all this stuff? Because the brake blocks were new. And he said, oh, Exchange and Mart. Do you remember the Exchange and Mart? It was like a big newspaper, like a magazine, stapled together, huge thing. Highly successful mail order catalogue, basically, full of private and other people's adverts, businesses, whatever you wanted, from a reel of cotton uh, to a you know, box of crayons <laughs> uh, to a car. It's all in the Exchange and Mart. It's fantastic. Everyone did mail order because there was no online, of course, back then. It was all mail order. And he said what he, what he did was he went round the bike shop, looked at the brake blocks all hanging up on the display, noticed the name, the manufacturer's name, went home, looked in the Exchange and Mart and found them for half the price, of course. And he said that's probably where the bike shop chap gets them from. <laughs> And he used to buy from the exchange and mark the inner tubes, the tyres, any bits he needed like that. He'd just get them from the exchange and mark. He said, you just send off a postal order. And about a week later or whenever, postman turns up with your bits. As I was leaving, I, I thanked him and I said, that's good. I can do my paper round now without worrying about the brakes hanging off. And he said, oh, what did you get? Yeah, how much did you get for your paper round? Because he didn't do one, of course. He was too busy running his own business. And I said, 14 shillings a week. And he, I, remember, I remember he looked at me and he said, I can earn that in a day doing the bikes. And, you know, that stuck in my mind as I went home. I can earn that in a day. And that always stuck in my mind. And that's probably why most of my working life I've been self-employed. I remember someone else saying to me, an adult saying, when you go to work, don't put money in other people's pockets earn your own money put it in your own pocket not someone else's but that chap though that said that to me I can earn that in a day that stuck in my mind all my life really it stuck in my mind when I did my five-year apprenticeship the radio and tv engineer apprenticeship when I was there a lot of the lads older than me of course they'd done their apprenticeship they were you know quite competent at repairing tellies what they used to do is leave and set up on their own. They'd go self-employed, a lot of them just working from home. They built up a good number of customers, uh, which they called private jobs. They were PJs that they did on the side. And when they had a good few customers that were regular, they would then leave work, you know, give up the day job, as they say, and go self-employed. They had all their customers lined up. And of course, in those days, TVs, radios, they went wrong every five minutes. So they were never short of work. And I remember one or two, two in fact, I remember straight offhand, they opened shops, radio and TV repair shops, and they did all right. Also selling batteries, bulbs, bits and pieces. They did very well out of it all. And I remember one chap, he said to me, now this was probably the best advice ever. Not that I ever did it, I didn't have a shop. But he said, if you get a shop one day, don't rent it, buy it. He said, go to the bank, go wherever, get the money and buy the shop. And I do know one or two people that did that. And when they decided they were fed up, they didn't want to do that anymore. 
they rented the shop out to someone else. So they're getting money in. I remember one chap, he had three shops. He was getting the rent in from three shops every month. And basically he didn't have to work. He did, he carried on working from home doing TV repairs, but he didn't have to work. Whatever he earned was just pocket money on, the, on top of the rent coming in from three shops. Fantastic. If I remember correctly, he ended up with five, if not six shops. Also a neighbour, when I was a kid, a neighbour of ours was a self-employed plumber. He worked from home. He just had his car, his family saloon car. He had the boot full of plumbing stuff, you know, his blow lamp and his tools. He was out every day, all day, every day, doing plumbing jobs. And he was earning, I don't know how much he was earning, but very good money. They used to go off on holiday and they were always having furniture and stuff like that, new carpets. So he was obviously doing very well. Of course, the thing is, I mean, back in those days, we did apprenticeships. Um, well, the bicycle chap didn't. He just did his own business. He didn't go on to university. No one did. Back in those days, people didn't, well, a few, I don't know what, 95%, let's say, of people, they didn't go to uni. They did apprenticeships or they just went out and got a job after they left school. I think the trouble is with university. I knew a chap, he said, I've got a degree in psychology. We were at a pub at the time and a couple of people sort of turned around and looked, the people we were with, and they said, everyone's got a degree in psychology, it's meaningless. And he was quite put out, this chap, Andy, his name, I'll never forget. He was quite put out. <laughs> oh, he said, well, I did a university degree, you know. I'm, yeah, I know, but what's the point? I mean, these days you can get degrees in, what, lawn mowing or something, can't you? <laughs> I don't know, so I've heard. Apparently there's degrees in sewing and degrees in knitting you know it's all meaningless back then we all went out to work we got jobs whether you're self-employed or whatever you went out to work apprenticeships were hugely popular as i say mine was a five-year apprenticeship after which time uh it, you know I, I got my city and guilds it didn't matter what i did i could go self-employed or whatever as a lot of people did oh just before i go any further i got a note here sally hello sally thanks for your email Girls' School. She's entitled the email, Girls' School. <laughs> last Sunday, do you remember last Sunday's episode? I was talking about incidents at school. And I said, uh, oh, Girls' School, that was down the road from our school. I'll tell you about that later. Well, as Sally has reminded me, I didn't tell you about it later. So I will this time. I will tell you about it later because I want to carry on with this uh, talk about working and university, entrepreneurs, self-employed and all that stuff that you find, I'm sure, highly riveting and enthralling. You're stuck to the speaker, aren't you? Waiting for the next... <laughs> oh dear, I don't know. It's all good fun, isn't it? It's all good fun. I'll tell you what, the weather has... You've got, you've got to hear the weather, because, you know, being British, that's all we talk about is the weather. So I've got to tell you, blue sky, again, look at that. Clear blue sky, lovely sunshine. The moon at night has been huge, absolutely huge. Uh, it's not. A, I think it was. A, was it a full moon? Oh, I don't know. But really nice. Uh, but of course, freezing cold again this morning, bashing the ice out of the bird baths and all that sort of thing. So yeah, okay, Sally. I will mention the girls' school. I've got the note here. Uh, I, to be honest, I can't remember what happened at the girls' school. No, I can. It. Uh, some of it was rather naughty. So I'll have to be careful what I say there, Sally. But let's go back to this. Um, 1950s, 1960s, how did people afford things? There was no credit cards, as I've said. You couldn't buy stuff online. You pay now 
no, what is it? Buy buy a sofa now and pay 10 years time. <laughs> well, it's not that bad, but buy now and pay in three years or something daft. Uh, all that does, I think, is get people into debt. I don't think that's a good idea. But presumably it works as a sales pitch. I don't know. But back in the old days, for example, when I got married, okay, we didn't have any money. We got a house. We got the money together for the deposit. We got the mortgage. We didn't have any furniture. I remember sitting on boxes in the lounge. We didn't have a telly. We didn't have anything. Our, our priority was to get the house. We did have a second-hand bed someone gave us. Uh, I think there was a cooker that the previous people left in the house. They said, do you want the cooker? Oh, yeah, leave it there because you know, we can't afford a cooker. <laughs> and it wasn't a bad one. But people gave us things. I remember a neighbour, you know, second-hand, uh, what was it, a tape? We got a second-hand table and chairs. Someone gave us a fridge because they bought a better one. They gave us their old fridge. Saucepans, knives, forks, cups, plates, all this came from our mums and, uh, and friends. And we basically kitted out the entire house uh, on stuff that was given to us. You know, we couldn't go and buy it. The lounge carpet, I mentioned this, didn't I, in uh, the midweek message last Wednesday, the lounge carpet, it was secondhand someone gave to us. It had been in their garage for goodness knows how many months. It was damp and there was mould on it. And it smelt a bit, <laughs> dear. But I laid it in the lounge badly, I hasten to add. There was a three-inch gap. It was supposed to be a fitted carpet. And I left a three-inch gap along one side. I don't know what went wrong there. <laughs> Something drastic. Going along with my Stanley knife, you know. That'll do. There we are. Oh, it's three inches away from the skirting board. Not to worry. But we had to clean it. It was awful. I mean, there weren't carpet cleaners then like there are now, all these electric things. We had to get bowls of water and scrubbing brush. We're down on our knees with scrubbing brushes, cleaning this secondhand, mouldy, smelly carpet. But that's the way it was back then. Now, these days, these days, people will go out and buy, well, a new carpet. I mean, I know married couples. They get a house. The first thing they do is have all the carpets replaced. They don't want secondhand other people's old carpets. And they buy new furniture and new this and new that, new telly. And they put it all on the credit card. Good grief. That would worry me. We didn't have anything on HP back then. Your high purchase, whatever we wanted, if we didn't have the money for it, or we couldn't get it sort of secondhand for nothing or whatever, then we didn't have it. That was the thing back in those days. We didn't have a telly for ages. Imagine that, no television. Imagine a couple these days, they get married, they move into their house and they haven't got a television. Well, it would just be, <laughs> I don't know what they'd do. It'd be instant divorce, wouldn't it? I don't know. It, it, I doubt that people these days would understand what it's like to, you know, as, as I did, get married. The thing was, we got the mortgage. Furniture didn't matter. We got a mortgage. So at last we're on the kind of property ladder or whatever they, they call it. So things like, well, where are we going to sit? Have we got a television or not? That wasn't priority. That didn't matter. We'd got a house well, and a bed and a cooker. <laughs> I remember the day we moved in. Oh, it was so funny. There weren't carpets anywhere. And we just got this bed and this cooker. And we, we sat on the floor the first day. I remember sitting on the floor, leaning against the wall, uh, brother-in-law, came round. We didn't even have chairs, <laughs> let alone a sort of three-piece suite. Happy days. I forgot to mention, we did have wedding presents. You know, you do a list. 
iron toaster kettle. We did have that sort of thing new. So, yes, I, I lied a little bit. It wasn't all secondhand. We did have one or two bits. So we could make a cup of tea. We had a cooker. Not that we had any food. Oh, no, actually, hang on. Someone gave us a, a big, like a hamper, a box full of food. You know, milk, butter, cheese, eggs, all the stuff you need. Because bear in mind, we've both been living at home with our parents. You move into a house, you haven't got anything. You haven't got any, we haven't even got salt and pepper. So someone gave us a huge box full of food and all that sort of stuff. Uh, yeah, it was, it was good fun. I mean, I enjoyed it all. I didn't sort of sit there thinking, oh, we haven't got this, we haven't got that. You know, I loved the whole thing. It was great. Another thing with credit cards is awful. I know people that they go off on holiday, pay on the credit card. This is these days. They pay on the credit card. And do you know, they're still paying on the credit card for last year's holiday. Can you imagine that? Well, perhaps some of you can. Perhaps that's what you've done. I couldn't do all that debt. It would worry me. I suppose that's the way I've been brought up. Back in the 50s, you didn't get into debt. You know, otherwise, you're in serious trouble. Whereas these days, people... I don't know, everyone's in debt, it seems, by thousands. And I don't just mean a mortgage or buying a car on a, a monthly payment basis. They're, they're in debt because of things like, well, some of them are in debt because they have to go food shopping every week. They can't afford it and they get in debt. It's awful, really, this day and age. But back then, as with me now, if we can't afford something, we don't have it. You know, we, we don't have all this money on credit cards and stuff. I'm just not going to do it. Neither of us are prepared to do it. If we want something, we'll have to wait, which is how it was in the old days. I remember when I was young, I want something, I'd save up for it. Out of my wages, I'd put a couple of shillings by each week. Listen to me, a couple of shillings. Only trying to earn a shilling, governor. But uh, I had a money box and I used to put stuff in there, like, I don't know, 10 bob a week, which for whatever I wanted. And then when I had enough money, I'd go and buy it from the shops. These days, regardless of what money you got, you take your bit of plastic and go and buy it. <laughs> Not even from the shop, you just sit there online. I don't know. They were happy days. I know a lot of you will be looking back at what I'm saying. You'll be thinking, good grief. You, know, you couldn't have this, you couldn't have that. Everything was secondhand, smelly and mouldy. <laughs> and you couldn't cope with it. But that's the way it was. But people were happy. I suppose after the war, in the 50s, people were just so pleased to be free of the war and all that. They just, I don't know, they were happy. They didn't have any money. Well, some people didn't even have a house. They'd just been bombed. But they were happy. From what I remember anyway, I suppose there are one or two that were miserable. In the main, I think people, they like to get on with things. You know, that, I don't know, that determination Right, let's do this, let's do that. They were positive. I think that's where I got my positivity from, I'm sure. From those days, I'm mean, not that I was in the war, but older people, a lot of them were positive. Oh, now we can do this, we'll do that. We'll rebuild this, we'll do this. The glass was always half full, not half empty. Obviously, a lot of people lost relatives, you know, sons, daughters, dads. They lost people in the war, which obviously was sad. But uh, in the main, especially when the 60s came along, the 60s were the time for earning money. I remember people saying that. As I said, no one was unemployed. There were a lot of self-employed people doing very well, earning money. The 60s were a really good decade for earning money. I don't remember anyone being short of money. I, I don't mean, you know, 
people on apprenticeship money like myself at work. Having said that, even I was on, what, £2.10 shillings I started. That was enough. I was 15 years old. That was enough to go out for beer, go to a nightclub, things like that. No trouble. Well, I say 15. No, of course, I didn't drink till I was 18 because it was illegal. <laughs> in those days, no one cared. You go into a pub. If you've got a 10-bob note in your hand, that's all right. What do you want? <laughs> Unless you're sort of 10 or 11. Of course, that was obviously out of the question. But 15, 16, you go in with a load of lads that are older, especially. They didn't care. So I always had money for a beer, going clubbing, stuff like that, take girls out. Always had money for that. And all I took home was £2.10 shillings a week. Gave my mum 20% of that, 10 shillings. So I had £2 a week. And as I say, that was that was enough. Didn't need any more than that. My old father-in-law used to say, bless him, he's gone now. If I earn a penny more than I need, I'm happy. And that's quite good, actually. That's quite good. That means you've paid the bills, you've gone out for your beer, you've bought your fags in the old days or whatever, and you've still got a penny over. That's happiness. Bliss. Just reminded me of a friend of mine, actually. He's worse than me, or better than me, depending on which way you look at it. He deals with cash only. If he hasn't got cash, he won't buy whatever it is. Even to the point where if they, <laughs> if they run out of milk, him and his wife run out of milk, and they haven't got enough change between them, they don't have milk. That's it. Not until they get some money. He's self-employed, and uh, most of his money he gets is cash. So they're all right most of the time. But he has said, if they run out of cash, that's it. They can't buy anything, not even, <laughs> not even a pint of milk. I don't know which is the best way to look at that. I mean, some people would say, well, that's stupid. And others would say, well, that's, uh, that's the way to do it. You can never, you know, you can't even borrow a quid from the next door neighbour or a friend. Can you lend me a pound? I want to get some milk. No, that's borrowing money. He won't do that. As I've said, there was HP, the higher purchase in the old days, known as the never-never. You buy something on the never-never and you have to pay back so much a week or whatever it is. Of course, there's interest. If you wanted a bank loan... If you wanted to borrow money, you had to go and see the bank manager and he'd sit you down in his office. What do you want the money for? How much do you want? What do you earn? He'd look at your bank statement, your, your records, which he had, of course. And I'd say, all right, I see you're putting in this much a week from your wages. Uh, you're paying, there's your rent or your mortgage. You're paying this and that. And he knew exactly what your financial situation was. And if he said, no, you can't have two or three hundred quid to buy a car, secondhand car. Well, that's it. You didn't have the car. <laughs> I remember going to the building society to get our, you know, when we first got married, our first mortgage, we went there. They wouldn't take my wife, you know, my new wife, none of her earnings wouldn't take that into consideration. Whatever she was earning didn't matter. It was purely down to my earnings. I mean, luckily that was all right. They wrote to the place I worked at, you know, is, is this right? He's told us he earns this and that. And of course they wrote back and the my boss there, he, he was very good. He lied a little bit for me, put my wages up by a little bit just to make sure I got the mortgage. As used to happen quite a bit, I think, in those days, you'd have a chat with your boss. Building Society might contact you about uh, my mortgage. You know, Can you up my money to this amount? And, oh, yeah, OK, yeah, we'll sort that out when they contact us. It was good. It worked that way. But I do remember sitting in the, the office, the manager of the, the branch of this Building Society, and what house is it? Where is it? How much is it? 
what's your earnings? Oh, and he, he wasn't too happy because he said, well, really, we like people to be savers with us for several years so we know that they can put money by properly. And he said, you haven't saved with us at all. You just walked in off the street. I mean, as it happened, it was, I think, at that time, they were keen to give mortgages to people. Uh, other times there, there was, was it one time, they were giving 125% mortgages. So you didn't need a deposit. They would lend you 125% of the money you needed. So you had some spare cash. I mean, they really were trying to give away mortgages. But when I we got the first house, it was, uh, the deposit was £600. And the house was 9,200, I think, or 9,400. That was a long time ago. Stone the crows. I've just had a look on a houses for sale type website and I found the very house, the very house that we first bought all those years ago. 285,000 it is now. God, 285,000. That's a lot of money. And they reckon that's for a quick sale. It's cheap. And what did I say? 9,200 we paid. It's no good doing that though, is it? Who is it? Oh, was it Lee? Hello, Lee. Lee said to me that uh, the chap that sent the email about looking back, you can't compare. As Lee was saying, you can compare. I think it's a good idea to look back then. What were wages then? And what were house prices then? And then come here to this day and age. What are wages, salaries and what are house prices now? You can make that comparison. So yeah, I agree with you, Lee. You can do that. I think it's a good idea. I remember Mars bars of all things. They use that as a kind of currency indicator at one stage. Perhaps they still do, I don't know. The price of a Mars bar. I remember when we went over to decimalisation in 1971, we went from pounds, shillings and pence over to the, the new decimal money. Everything went up a little bit. They rounded up because you couldn't always do a, an exact equivalent in money. So they rounded up a penny or whatever. And the price of Mars bars went up. And also over the years, I don't know whether this is true, but apparently a lot of sweets are things like chocolate bars, Mars bars. They got a little bit smaller than they used to be. Is that true? The price goes up slightly. The size of the chocolate bar goes down slightly. <laughs> I mean, that's, ah oh dear, that's a bit of a con, isn't it? I wouldn't do that if I owned a chocolate factory, would I? I've got this note staring at me here. Sally, girls' school. Okay, there's nothing to say about it, really. All I was going to say was we'd all leave school on our bikes or walking and we'd all walk along this long road which actually went past the girls' school, the entrance to the girls' school. So what a lot of the lads did, I mean, not me, because I was an upright pillar of the community. We used to, I mean, they used to <laughs> hang around at this crossroads so that all the girls came out of their school and they had to come past, most of them past the crossroads bit. And of course, there's all the lads on their bikes whistling, wolf whistling. Can you imagine that? This stuff, oh dear. Wolf whistling? You'd have the cops there. You'd have the cops there within seconds. Right, you're nicked. Criminal offence, you're going to prison. <laughs> Let alone the other things that were shouted out, which I can't mention on here. I do, I, no, I, let, let's move on. If I get on to that, wolf whistling and shouting out things uh, to girls. And they used to shout back. I remember girls shouting things over to me if I'd whistled or something. Well, no, not me. One of my friends. I didn't do that. I remember them shouting back. It was great. Everyone enjoyed it. It was a bit of fun. Of course, you're not allowed to have fun these days, are you? 
just checking my emails here. What's this one here? Uh, Terry. Hello, Terry. Politics, he says. And he goes, <laughs> goes on and on. Terry, I can't read all this out. It's too much. And I don't think people want to hear about politics. Every time, now, every time I turn the telly on or the radio, is that, what is it? Party gate. It was wallpaper gate when Boris uh, decorated his flat. <laughs> now it's party gate. They had a party. No, they had two parties and there's photos. Look, they've got a, a suitcase full of wine. They bought a wine fridge for the office. That's all you hear. Out of all the other news that's in the world that's really important, really important stuff, they're on about, he was drinking. We saw him drinking beer and he had pizza. As, I mean, Terry's going on. I can't read all this, Terry. It's too long. I mean, interesting what you say, but it would bore people. I mean, I bore people as it is. If I start reading out your email, Terry, well, I'll go to sleep as well as everyone else. No, it's not that bad. Sorry. Apologies for that. Do email me, everyone. Raiserants at protonmail.com. Or one word, raiserants at protonmail.com. Because uh, I, I don't read out a lot of... Well, a lot of emails aren't meant to be read out. They're just sort of little comments to me. But uh, one or two, like Sally and the girls' school. Uh, well, not that I read it out, but uh, you know what I mean. I don't know what I'm talking about. I hope you do. Yes, of course, you know what I'm talking about. Just going back to Partygate. Uh, it is important to a lot of people. I do understand that. Because while we were told to lock down, you couldn't go to a funeral... Uh, I know people that had relatives in old people's homes. They couldn't go and see them before they passed away. And, you know, all this is happening. And then you go up to Downing Street and they're all having a rave up. So, yeah, obviously it's it's not good. It's just that the, as Terry says in his email, it's going on and on and on. It's just got, I think, too much now. Initially, it was news and it was disappointing to hear that. But uh, now we've got to the stage where... I think everyone's fed up with it. So what's next? What can we talk about next? Look, half an hour I've been rabbiting. I've had a cup of tea. I did cheat, actually. I had a cup of tea and a sandwich. Oh, we went to Amberley Museum, Amberley Working Museum, just outside Arundel yesterday. It was lovely. Quite a few of us in the family went along, took the little kids as well, and it was a great, lovely day. I had, I don't like eating out, as you know because I am the world's number one fussy eater. We were sitting in this cafe place at the museum and uh, my wife saying, what, what are you going to have, a sandwich? Oh, no, no, I don't like their sandwiches. Well, what about uh, what about this? No, no, no. Well, what about jacket potato? No, I don't want jacket potato, not unless you make it. <laughs> I'm really that bad. Then she said, what about cheese and onion pasty and chips? Ooh. Now, that did get me thinking, yes, I'll have that. And, you know, it was really nice. I was really impressed. Cheese and onion pasty, chips and a bit of Heinz tomato ketchup. Absolutely brilliant. I don't know why I'm telling you what I had for lunch, but the museum itself is a fantastic place. If ever you're down in West Sussex, go and have a look at the museum. Uh, I forget what it is to get in. It's well worth it. There's a radio and TV exhibition from the old days all the old 40s, 50s radios, the 60s televisions. There are electrical appliances. There's a, there's a little train that runs all around the place. There's a bus. All the old buses that are now off the road. Some of them are very old. It's really interesting to go and have a look around. A nice country walk there as well. They ought to pay me. I ought to get commissioned, don't you think? Advertising their place. No, they rely on donations, so it is really worth going to have a look. 
we get a yearly ticket so we can pop up there any time we like in the summer we got there a lot pop up to Amberley have a coffee have a walk round it's not too far and it's a bit of exercise of course I must go and wind up our grandmother clock no not wind up my grandmother the grandmother clock on the wall in the hall it's uh it's chiming very very slowly <laughs> it sounds like it's dying poor thing I must do that I keep forgetting someone gave me some seeds I've got them here here we are. Sow and grow. Yeo Valley Organic. Put nature first. It's a load of wild flower seeds. Uh, quite good. I found those the other day. Someone gave them to me a year ago. They're still in date. So once we get some warmer weather, I shall plant those. The honeysuckle's doing well. The rabbits are out. They're mowing the lawn. We've got two rabbits, as you know. They're mowing the lawn. Listen to that clock. It's still, it's plodding on. I don't know whether you could hear the clock in the background. So really looking forward to getting outside now. I think this winter thing, it's all very well. I mean, daylight today where the sun's out is very nice, but it is just so cold. Oh, a couple of friends of mine went to Scotland the other day. They flew up there. Do you know, they were? They looked at the train fare down from the south coast here, and it was, what was it, a third of the price or something to get an aeroplane from Gatwick to Edinburgh. So they did that. They flew up there. In the old days, people would drive or possibly get the train. You certainly wouldn't fly in the 50s and 60s, fly from down here to Scotland. I wonder whether you could. You probably could, actually, because we've got Shoreham Airport. I know they used to. I don't know about now. They used to fly to Jersey and Guernsey and back again. So I don't know. I don't know whether they, they still do that. But in the old days, you know, people didn't fly. Well, not domestic flights within their own country. I suppose in America, yeah, they did there, didn't they? Because I mean, you're talking about 3,000 miles from one side to the other. And I don't know what the up-down bit is, how far that is. So you couldn't drive everywhere. Whereas here, what's the distance between left and right? <laughs> I mean, west and east along the coast here. Is it 300 miles? No. Well, yeah, 300, certainly no more. I've, done, I've no idea, to be honest. But in those days, people would drive. I remember our holidays in Wales, we all piled, as kids, all piled into the car. It was a great adventure. And of course, driving back then, it well, it wasn't the nightmare that it is today. It was quite pleasant. I mean, when I first passed my test, driving was really nice. The roads were empty. You could park anywhere, well, within reason. And it was great. I used to drive down to Devon with a girlfriend of mine on a regular basis. We always stayed at the same place in Hope Cove. How about that? Look on the map. Oh, my coffee cup's empty now. Look, I was just going to have a bit more of my coffee. It's empty. I'll have to make some more. Yeah, Hope Cove down in Devon. Absolutely fantastic place. We used to go down there a lot in the summer in my old Hillman Minx. It was a 1954 Hillman Minx. Column change, yeah, the gear stick up on the column, steering column. Uh, bench seat in the front. Fantastic car. I wish I'd kept that. I also had an MG Magnet. I wish I'd kept that. Oh, absolutely brilliant. Anyway, we've sort of gone off-piste. Am I allowed to say that? going back to the old days you could get stuff on tick what they call on tick it was on credit from your local shop you know if you were a, a well-known customer and they knew where you lived you only lived up the road you go to your little corner shop they'd give you stuff on tick so you know you're waiting for the, the wife would is this sexist now we're going to get sued for this you know the housewife would go into the corner shop to get something for tonight's dinner and she didn't have any money because hubby bought the wages home on a Friday night. 
So you'd have it on tick and you pay for it on the Friday or the Saturday or whatever. So they did quite a bit of that. And I do remember seeing in shop windows, you see, you know, they put this sort of white writing on like greengrocer's shop. They'd have, I don't know, carrot one, one and sixpence halfpenny or something in that white sort of paint stuff. Well, they used to write on there, Mrs. Smith, 32 Blog Street, owes seven and sixpence. They'd actually write it on the shop window and you could see who owed them money, who hadn't paid their, their credit, their tick. Can you imagine doing that these days? You'd get sued. Things are very different these days. And it's only really since I've been recording the podcast episodes that I've realised just how different. It's, it's going back in my mind, recalling the 50s and the 60s and the things that happened then, the prices, the cars, the houses, the way things were, the family. Now, there's another thing recently this cropped up. My mum was saying, we went and saw her the other day, she's doing all right. She said that uh, they went out for a meal and there were some people in the restaurant with their, with some kids. The kids, they'd finished their meal. They just got up and, and ran outside. There was some playground area. They just got up and ran outside. She said, in our day, and I said, yes, I interrupted her. I said, we would say, please may I get down. When you'd finished, please may I get down. Not now, the kids just run off. Or even worse, have their meals up in their bedrooms and then leave all the plates under the bed <laughs> to go mouldy and smelly. I remember, I mean, looking back, you, you might be thinking, oh, thank goodness we haven't got those days. My grandmother, when we stayed there as kids, she would have the breakfast table laid and there were napkins in the little silver ring, you know, napkin rings on, on the table, uh, just by each plate, where she, she'd lay the table the night before for breakfast, which always intrigued me as a kid, because yeah, my mum didn't do that. Four kids in the morning, there's school and everything. You can't sort of muck about doing the table the night before, you know, the night before she was ironing and doing this and that. So yes, it, it was weird. My grandmother had all this table laid the evening before, ready for breakfast, with napkins in, what are they called, napkin rings, are they? And they had a little hallmark thing on, they were silver. I wonder what happened to those? I didn't get them. <laughs> she also had a toast rack. You know, you, you doll your toast, then put it in the rack in the middle of the table. You don't see that sort of thing so much these days. And the butter was in a butter dish. The milk was in the milk jug. And the sugar was in the sugar bowl. I mean, these days, <laughs> the milk bottle was on the table. The butter is on the table, then it's paper wrapper. <laughs> it's very different. I suppose there was more time back then is that why there was more time you put the milk in the jug and there were a little like in the summer when there were flies and things around you'd have a little net uh, thing to put over the top of the milk jug I suppose to stop dust or whatever going in there and this little I don't it's like a little square handkerchief that fitted over the jug and of course the teapot people don't use teapots now do they we've got a nice big teapot and sometimes, when all the family around, we fire it up. Yeah, we fill it with a load of tea bags, fill it with water. It's a huge teapot. And it's great. You know, it's so much better than a tea bag in each cup. And back then we had, uh, what did my mum have? A coffee percolator. That was good. Whereas these days, oh, you spoon it into the cup. That's it. Hot water. There's your coffee. Actually, I do prefer that. I prefer coffee just made with water. I don't like these... All these latte things and 
whatever they're called, skinny things, fat lasses. <laughs> I don't like all that. But how different things are. Knives and forks, it was all laid properly. Now, you know, oh, there's, right, dinner's ready, there's your meal. You grab a knife and fork, sit at the table, or sit in the lounge with a tray watching telly. Or sit at the table watching telly on your iPad. That's what kids do. I don't know, it's not good. All the values have gone. Were they, do you think they were sort of values? Do you think that was good, being brought up like that? You know, please, thank you, and all this business, and please may I get down from the table, and would you please pass the salt or whatever? Oi, give us the salt or what? <laughs> yeah, well, he hit me first. <laughs> I don't know, it's all very different. I think it's because these days there is no time, as I said back then, even with four kids to get ready for school, you know, there was still time to do things. So I don't know. What do you think? Do you think kids these days should be taught? What well, manners, isn't it? Manners maketh man. Do you remember that saying? Back in those days. Oh, you're, one thing I never agree with, and I still don't. Your elders are your betters or something. No, they're not. <laughs> I used to find old people extremely rude, to be honest, when I was young. If I was in a queue in a shop, you get some old person, they push in front of you. And they still do. I'm an old person now, but I don't do that. I wouldn't push in front of anyone. But some of the old people I've met throughout my lifetime, they're miserable, rude, old... Is that word I need again? Beginning with B. Oh, that's right, idiots. <laughs> anyway, there we are. I just bought myself a new radio. Well, I haven't. Trish, my wife, bought it for me. Can you believe... I won't tell you how much. It's over a £1,000. An amateur radio thing, you know, you can talk and listen on it. Uh, for your shortwaves, as my old mate Brian used to say. He's gone now, he passed away. He'd say to me, I've been listening on your shortwaves. It was always your shortwaves. I don't know why they're my shortwaves. <laughs> Another chap I knew. For example, he'd say, I went to the pub last night and this friend of mine, he turns round and goes to me, I might get a new car. So I turns round and goes to him, can you afford a new car? And he turns round and goes, and I'm thinking, all these people in the pub, they're all turning round. Oh, it's funny. He always, whatever he was telling, whatever story, he turns round and goes, and I turns round and goes. I, I don't know. I think, <laughs> no, I won't comment on that. don't know whether you can hear a little click every now and then. I think it's me hitting the desk in my recording studio. Well, I say desk, it's a table. Three quid from an auction. They are going back to the uh, on-piste going back to the original thing about this episode, uh, the old furniture, we went to an auction. I wanted this table. I saw it at the auction when we were viewing and I thought that's ideal. It's the right side. It's an old pine kitchen table and it's just right for what I want. And I got it for three pounds. I, I did the bid. He said, start me off at five. Of course, no one does. Two pounds. I said, oh, I'll have it. Someone else bid. No, what was it? One pound. That's right. Someone wanted it for one. And uh, I bid, th I can't remember, I bid three pounds. Anyway, I got it for three quid. Really nice. And that was years ago. It's still going. We used to have jumble sales. Do you remember jumble sales in the old days? They weren't too good because you get loads of women pile into the local church hall. OK, they're throwing these clothes everywhere. I'll have that. I want this. And these big women were shoving each other. It was awful. I remember seeing that as a kid. I was perhaps the other side where there were maybe some toys or jigsaw puzzles for sale and I'd look over at these large ladies that's acceptable isn't it large ladies yeah that's right I'm not calling them fat <laughs> and they'd be 
shoving each other and muscling each other, grabbing stuff from the, the tables. It was awful, awful to see. And that was jumble sales. So now it's car boot sales, isn't it? Car boot sales. You know, I've bought one or two jackets from car boot sales. I've got no qualms at all about second-hand clothes, as long as they're clean. I mean, anything, you know, like a jacket, what we do is take it to the dry cleaner and have it cleaned from the, a car boot sale. Charity shops. I bought one or two nice jackets in charity shops for, you know, five. I bought a nice cord. Do you remember elephant cord? Cordroy, elephant cord and needle cord, which was the very thin one. And I bought this jacket, seven pounds. I've still got it now. I bought it years ago. Seven pounds, a lovely corduroy jacket lined inside, padded, a winter type jacket. Really nice for seven quid. And, you know, I've no qualms about telling people. I, I, I met some people in the pub and someone said, oh, nice jacket. I said, yeah, seven quid down the charity shop. <laughs> I don't care. To be honest, the way I treat clothes, I'm better off with secondhand stuff. I, I, te <laughs> I tend in the summer to use my T-shirt or shirt as a, a handkerchief <laughs> or a rag. Yeah, I'm doing something to my engine out the back. I've got this Lister engine, Lister D stationary engine. Doing something to that and I use my T-shirt as a rag. <laughs> now I do wear old T-shirts for that because otherwise I get told off. I remember one of the grandchildren recently Wipe, we were at the dinner table, wiped their sort of mouth on their sleeve of their jumper or whatever it was. And their mum, our daughter, said, oh, don't do that. I said, well, that's what sleeves are for. And of course, I got told off. <laughs> I just say, well, I'm trying to bring the kids up proper, like, not I mean? <laughs> Wipe your nose on your sleeve. We used to do that at school. I remember kids do it. It was awful. I didn't do it much. But I do remember kids doing that. Anyway, there we are. Look, I'm waffling on now. It's three quarters of an hour. Shall we end it here? I've got my seeds here to grow when the sun's out. Well, the sun is out, but when it's a bit warmer. Our tortoise is doing well. Slowly, slowly coming out of hibernation. I don't know why it's taking him so long. It's been a couple of weeks now since he woke up. He's eating every day, a little bit, but he's sleeping a lot. He's got his heat lamp. Oh, the bulb's just gone. I've had to fit up a temporary one. Just ordered a new bulb, a heat lamp and UV and all this stuff. £35. Stone the crows. I'll stone the crows. £35? Good grief. Mind you, the last one I looked up, we we bought, it was £36, so it's gone down a pound. And it's lasted, what, three years? So that's not bad, is it? That's not bad. Right, I shall clear off and leave you in peace. Thank you for listening. If you're still with me, that is, you probably turned off halfway through. If anyone's still listening, thank you so much. It's been nice to have your company. Raise rants at protonmail.com. Love to hear from you. And I shall see you next Wednesday with the midweek message. Take care, look after yourself. Bye-bye for now.